0: Last week, we talked about Revelation chapter 17. If you look through Revelation chapter 17, it doesn't go well for Satan. And if you look at 18, you kind of see the sentencing coming in. Okay, and we'll get into that a little bit more. But why is God's judgment coming? God is separate from sin. He is coming back to earth. He's coming back to make things right, to make things holy, to reform the earth, to take care of us in his way. Because God is holy, this is why death is allowed on earth. Because we can't be in the presence of God. We had to be cast out of the garden because God walked in the garden. It was a holy place. We are no longer holy, so we had to be cast out. If we were going to come back to be in the presence with God again, it can only be through our spiritual selves. And so our spiritual bodies will eventually get a new body uh, like Jesus had, and then we will uh, become. So are we going to live forever? Yes. Are we going to live forever in heaven? Well, that's up to us, isn't it? That's the only really decision that we get to make in life, I think, it's the most important decision that we make. And all the other ones kind of stem off of that. But what I mean by that is that's the only one we really have independence in making. I think everything after that, God is walking with us and we never, no longer have to carry that burden together. Um, before that, we are maybe working independently of God, but um, God's still working things on the uh, around us to draw us closer to him. So this... This decision to choose the Lord, or in a sense, surrender to Him, we talked about felty last week, uh, to give, surrender felty to the Lord in, in service, is the most important and um, biggest decision to bring us back to holiness that we can make. Right? We are not holy here on the earth because we still have our physical bodies, we still sin, and God still forgives, right? But we are working the process of sanctification, which means we're working to be more like Jesus. And as we work to be more like Jesus, um, we have an opportunity to see glimpses of holiness in our life because Christ has worked through us. Okay? When we get to heaven, it'll be the norm. Be like, hi, Norm. And be like, how are you doing? Oh, boy. All right. So our theme today is God has not been silent about his judgment on sin. We read it in Psalm chapter 2. His judgment's coming. He is not worried about judging. He knows he has the power to judge. He will scoff at them. Um, his desire is that we all repent and turn to him so that he can make all things new. He promises us a new heaven and a new earth. And that starts here on this earth, this broken earth, because we have to return to him, okay? So we're going to find ourselves in Revelation chapter 18 this morning, and this is the fall of Babylon. Last week, we discussed Babylon as a false religion, okay? We had a false religion, a false, or a government that's going to set up, and then um, a false leader, which would be the dragon or the Antichrist, all those kind of go together, and in a sense... We have a false trinity. Okay, you can save your questions at the end. Okay, now, thanks. It's all right. Um, Revelation 18, 1 through 3 says, After this, I saw an angel come down from heaven with great authority. The angel or the earth grew bright with his splendor, and he gave a mighty shout. Babylon has fallen. The great city has fallen. She has become a home for demons. She is a hideout for every foul spirit, a hideout for every foul vulture, and every foul and dreadful animal. For all the nations have fallen because of the wine of her passionate immorality. The king, kings of this world have committed adultery with her because of the desires of extravagant luxury. The merchants of the world have grown Rich. It continues on in that judgment. We're going to pause to talk about those verses for a minute. So we have the judgment. The reason for the judgment is that Babylon, the false world religion in Revelation chapter 17, it celebrates death. And so what does it receive? If you look at those first few verses there, Oh, about halfway through verse 2. It says, Babylon has fallen. The great city has fallen. She has become a home for demons. It has to do with death. Every foul spirit, every foul bird, which are birds of death, and every foul and dreadful animal would deal with death. Okay, So you can see the correlation as it celebrated death, the death of the saints, so it receives death. And she has become... A house of corruption. What has she corrupted? What's she celebrated? She's celebrated the death of the saints, right? And as we look through these things, we see she has changed death for life. The walking dead, the, the zombies, the things huh, kind of like what else is celebrated today right, in Halloween. So so this is why we don't do scary on Halloween, okay, because we don't celebrate death at White Rose. We celebrate life, and that's why we light up the neighborhood. That's why we show God's generosity through giving candy and through feeding the families that night because we want to shine a light in dark places. And where is the light the brightest? In the darkness, right? So the darkest day of the year is today, Halloween. We celebrate across the nation. We don't realize what we're celebrating, I don't think. But um, nonetheless, we are still celebrating it. And as we do that, we can share and shed a bright light into dark places so the community knows that they can find the love of Jesus in a generous way here at White Rose Fellowship Church. So... What do we have here? Why has she become corrupt? Well, life for death, she substituted that. She has made herself an idol. And you see this in 17 where he's stunned by her beauty, but he's also stunned by her idolatry and her sexual immorality and the extravagant Living that she's gone through, and can't believe that you had this potential to be so beautiful and you threw yourself away. You see this so many times. You see uh, the most popular girl in, in wherever you may be, and she, um, high school is a great example though, because it sets up the, the pyramid of popularity. And as you get to the most popular girl, what does she have to do to stay on top? A lot of times she has to idolize somebody. She has to give herself sexually, usually, and um, she has to have an extravagant luxury to go along with it. It's portrayed throughout uh, the Disney Channel, if you ever watched that and stuff growing up, you see it through. And it's not, they don't portray it in a bad way, but it is. And it, it's the world system. And so naturally they would, they would gravitate to it and so God's called us out of those systems to be something different, and when you see that happen, and it's an it's an amazing thing. But this is where it looks like we have idolatry, sinning because we want. Sometimes we like to do it with a religious front. You know, we'll we'll do this to to please God, or or you do your thing and I'll do my thing, and so we become our own God, or we blatantly just straight up there is no God, but. In a sense, we've become our own God because we've declared that there's no God. But really anything before God is idolatry, isn't it? Even sexual immorality is idolatry. You've, you've put that on a pedestal where it doesn't belong. Uh, coveting things is idolatry. So if you break the first commandment or so, in the Ten Commandments, you always break the last one. And if you break the last one, you always break the first one. So if you break one, you break ten. You break ten, you break one. So you want to know where that's at? It's in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, that gives the list. But that's the simple list, right? Christ expounds on that in, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And he tells us that it's a lot harder than what you think it is. Oh, boy, I'm already doing bad. <laughs> As it was. So sex morality in giving into lust or distorting it. Sex belongs in the bonds of marriage, right? And as we come together in that bond, it is a beautiful, wonderful thing that God's created. It, it brings together an, an idea that um, my wife is my pinnacle of beauty. And so I cling to that And I celebrate that in my marriage, right? And so as I come to that, as Christ has done for his bride, I want to build her up in that way. I want to make sure that she knows that. I want to serve her as Christ served the church. He set the example for me, did he not? If you read the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters are what the husband's supposed to do. The beginning of chapter four is what the husband's supposed to do. There's one or two verses for what the wife's supposed to do, right? Because if the husband's doing what he's supposed to be doing, it should be easy to submit to a loving husband, right? Should be. If your husband is not um, loving, then you need to be cautious in that submission, but you need to love him in a way that the Um, that he may come to know Jesus in a better way. That's a difficult counseling session right there, right? So sex belongs in the bonds of marriage, and our sexuality should be saved for our husbands or our wives, right? So then we have extravagant luxury. Buying things out of boredom is what we see today. An extravagant luxury. You know, our our system of government, well, our economic system is set up for extravagant luxury. We have to keep buying in order to sustain the economy. That's what we hear. We got to be good Christians and, and doing that, but that's not, economy and Christianity are not always the same thing and Maybe never the same thing, especially when they're in that. So we need to be see what God has to say for our finances, right? And walk that. There's a lot of good people out there that, that um, walk the walk on that. But extravagant luxury, the problem with it, buying out of boredom, buying extravagantly, doesn't really love your neighbor. If you think about it. If we buy, we bought a bunch of candy, right, for the, the treat channel. We're, the, we're giving away to bless our neighbors. You know, we're not hoarding it. We're, get, we're buying it to give it away. There's a, there's a big difference there. And so you can take part in that generosity as we serve this, this evening on that. And it, it's a fun thing. Because it's like, wow. And those that have bought a lot of candy allow others to give it away. So they can be a blessing, maybe in a way they haven't never experienced before. And then it, it shows them, hey, maybe I want to be extravagant in my giving as well. So I, it's, it's a neat way, and it's a neat process there. That's one thing that we're bucking the system a little bit. And if you do extravagant luxury in your government, what you're doing is you're creating a debt for future generations. We'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later. So how do you walk out of this lifestyle? I have four things that you can do to help walk out of this lifestyle. I'm sure there's many more. There's the four I could think of. Um, the first one is acts of service for others in need. Acts of service. When you serve other people, it helps you to walk out of the extravagant luxury, sexual immorality, idolatry, and this corrupt nature that the world has because the world says serve yourself, and God says No, we need to serve others, serve God. How do we do that? How do we love God? By loving others. How do we love others? By loving God. Huh, interesting. Well, how do we do that? Go, therefore, and make disciples. Baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Remember that one? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Yeah, it's an important one. I, that was a Shane House paraphrase of that. <laughs> I'm good at those. Um, acts of service. What's another way we can love your neighbor as yourself? Serve one another. You could do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule, right? That's Matthew 7, 14. The reference that's in your bulletin. The next one you can do is you can praise God. When you give God the glory, when you give God the praise, when we come together and worship him in a corporate setting like we are, in corporate meaning we're gathered together as a group of believers, right? That, there, there's something about that that is different than just praising God on your own. It's the song that gets stuck in your head through all the week that you're still singing from Sunday. That's a good indicator that corporate work, worship is is molding your life for better. Okay, that was something something really really important to me as a pastor, as a but more as a believer is corporate worship. I get a I get a big charge out of it. Um, when I was growing up, when I was a wee lad, I um, I had a hard time reading my Bible, but I could sing. I could sing forever. I could do hours and hours and hours of singing with a group of people. It wouldn't even phase me. Now i I've I can read my Bible a lot better than I used to be able to, but uh, I still like to sing. It's, it's something I need to get. I need to get back into listening to uh, that music and stuff again. And I've noticed that a little bit this week. So singing to Him, give Him the glory with what we say and do. When somebody says this is a really neat thing we do for the you guys do for the community, and be like, oh, we don't do this for us. We do this so God can get the glory. So you can see God's generosity. That's a good response tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Hey. God did it for us. We want to do it for you, too. And that's a, a good thing to do. Another one, number three: seek repentance. Ask the Lord to forgive us. There is no problem too big for God. You are never too far gone for God to show up in a mighty way in your life. Just because people on Earth don't value you doesn't mean that God doesn't value you. It's a lie. That's really difficult lie when your father, earthly father, didn't value you. Right? When you don't have value from an earthly father, it's hard. When you do, you can recognize this a little bit better. And if you didn't have a good earthly father, please look at some of the examples that we have around here on how they love and things. That's uh, something that I was blessed with. I was at a great, both my grandfather's, And my Father are great examples for me there. And so I try to set that example. That's something that we need to do, men, in the church, and set up and and be a good example there. The last one is we can pray for guidance. Jesus says pray straight to the point. Don't babble on like the Pharisees do, but get straight to the point. Here's a good model for prayer. In Matthew 6, 9 through 15, it says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. If we ask God's name to be kept holy, that means his wrath will be fierce because his holiness is what creates. It's out of it's the byproduct of his holiness. His wrath is. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need, and not the extravagant, just what we need. And forgive us our sins if we forgive those who sin against us. And do, don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Listen to this, though. He keeps going on. He says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And what's that sin if you don't forgive? Not hate. Something worse than hate. It's bitterness. It changes your heart. Is it easy to forgive all the time? Is it easy to forgive somebody that's wronged you in a way? What about physically wronged you? Is it easy that's murdered somebody or raped you or um, something to that effect? Those are all very, very, very difficult. What if somebody that breaks your heart over and over and over three or four or five times? Jesus says, well, against the seven, you could just quit, right? Oh, no, he didn't say that. He said, that's what Peter said. Seventh time, I can quit. I, I can condemn him to hell. No, Peter says 70, or Jesus says 70 times seven, which means infinite amount of times because we look at seven and seven, it's sanctified, okay? Not as... Um, 490 times. That's not how the Jewish people talk. God has not been silent about his judgment on sin. He desires that we repent and turn to him so we can he can make all things new. Verse 4 through 8. It says, Then I heard another voice calling from heaven. Come away from her, my people. Do not take part in her sins, or you will be punished with her. For our sins are piled as high as heaven, and God's God remembers her evil deeds. Do to her as she has done to others, double her penalty for all her evil deeds. She brewed a cup of terror for others. She brewed twice as much for her. She glorified herself and lived in luxury, so match it now with torment and sorrow. She boasts in her heart, I am a queen on my throne. I I am no helpless widow. I have no reason to mourn. Therefore... These plagues will overtake her in a single day, death and mourning and famine. She will be completely consumed by fire, for the Lord God who judges her is mighty. So we see a separation of God's people. We see a separation back with the two witnesses right in that time, where God separated his people out there. We see this again here. I think it's kind of an overview of that same point in time. God is separating us like the sheep and the goats, right? He says that in Matthew 20, chapter 25. And 17, chapter 17 of Revelation gives us a picture of this distorted beauty. Babylon is the glory of what could have been. She could have been beautiful. She could have been wonderful. However, she's followed by the prideful, haughty attitude and brazen sin. What's brazen mean? It means you know you're sinning and you don't care. Okay? It's like sitting right in front of God's face. That's not fun. Prideful, haughty attitude. Drunk on the lustful pleasures of this world. Sin is attractive to us because otherwise we wouldn't have to deal with it. We wouldn't have to worry about sex trafficking, and we wouldn't have to worry about theft. We wouldn't have to worry about all these things that come along with it, right? If it was easy to not idolize something, we wouldn't do it. God says to his people, come out from her. Come out. Don't take part in her sins. Why? Because God's punishment is falling on her, because her great and disobedient sins. She's distorted her beauty into something attractive, but it is death, filled with death, and will eventually be torn down, as we saw later on in chapter 17. Then we see this phrase, do to her as she has done to others. Where do we see this again? We saw it in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. So we see how God's commandment that was meant for a blessing can also be conditional on our treatment of others because God's keeping track. Remember the time that you do this, I'm going to repay it double, says the Lord. And praise God it was only double because he could do it multiple times more than that, right? So Let's see here. There we go. Once again, God warns everyone before his judgment falls. And when he hands out the punishment, he gives them a double portion of terror she poured out before. She boasts of her independence. She is a queen, she is no helpless widow. She has divorced herself from God. From her husband. She was designed to be the bride of Christ. She has become a harlot. She has turned away. You see this in um, some of the minor prophets. When uh, Hes... No. Shoot. Gomer and... Shoot. I can't remember the minor prophet. Gomer's husband. Hosea. Hosea. It was right. You were right, Jim. Hosea. God says, go marry Gomer. Okay, she's kind of pretty. But she's going to cheat on you three times. And you're going to take her back every time. You're going to buy her back with the price of a slave. Why does God do that? Why does he say that? Because that's what Israel has done, right? That's what we do. God buys us back every time we turn away from him. So turn away. Go and follow the Lord. This woman has not done that. She has divorced herself from God. She doesn't want that, doesn't need it. She doesn't mourn the loss of her husband. She is at the height of her rebellion, and therefore God is quick in his judgment and his sentencing. It comes in a single day because God has not been silent about his judgment on sin. He desires that we all repent and turn to him so that we can make, that he can make all things new. 9-14, through 14. and the kings of this world who committed adultery with her and enjoyed her great luxury will mourn for her as they see the smoke rising from her charred remains. They will stand at a distance, terrified by her great torment. They will cry out, how terrible, how terrible, O Babylon, you great city. In a single moment, God's judgment came on you. The merchants of the world will weep and mourn for her, for there is no one left to buy their goods. She bought great quantities of gold, silver, jewels, and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet cloth, things made of fragrant, tithe wood, ivory goods, and objects made of expensive wood and bronze and iron and marble. She also bought cinnamon, spice, incense, mirth, frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses wagons and bodies that is human slaves the fancy things you love so much are gone they cry all your luxuries and splendor are gone forever never to be yours again why would they be so upset about that because really they know they're next they know that they're mourning for themselves as they mourn for babylon because they are next worldly pleasures I had to ask myself, what's our country value? We started off the American dream. You know, one, one house, one car, two and a half kids, we're good to go, right? I, I know I kept looking around for those half kids around, but I never saw any. Uh, so what does that add up to? We have to keep our position in the world. We have to support These things, we have to outspend other other countries to make sure that they go broke. It adds up to debt for luxuries. The U.S. debt is almost $29 trillion in debt. I saved it on my computer. I forgot to put it on the PowerPoint. A pallet full of $100 bills, about this tall, is $100 million. The picture, if you go to nationaldebt.org, of our national debt right now, they show a picture of the Statue of Liberty. She's about this tall. And the stack of those pallets are twice as tall as she is behind her. All around her, trucks still coming in. And we're talking not just one pallet, we're talking groups of 10 by 10 Stacked on top of each other, there it's. We can't even fathom what it means to have that debt, and we've passed that on to our kids, our grandkids. So when somebody makes a big deal on national debt, it is it's a big deal because we've created an identity that is fake. We bought from future generations our luxuries. That's not good. Not good at all. Idolatry. Well, if you look at our country in that way, sexual immorality. That you hear an event like the Super Bowl goes on. When it ha- where it happened last year was Tampa, right? Tampa, Florida. Do you know sex trafficking in Tampa, Florida spikes every time the Super Bowl comes in? They bring people in from all around the world boys, girls all over so that, that can, they can have their pleasures while they're playing football and everybody's having a good old time and then they ship them on out of there it's horrible something that needs more attention in the world today uh, sex trafficking is slavery straight up, do we have slavery today? oh yeah we have slavery today we have sexual slavery, probably in the, even in this community, when kids can't get out of their homes because they're being abused by um, and they're dependent on people. And then they find out that that's how you're supposed to love because that's what I was taught from my father. And then they go on into the next, into the next, into the next. And it's sad because that's not what fathers are supposed to do. We're supposed to set the example, aren't we, men? And that means to take care and protect be a provider, and we don't see that today. So the lewd acts we see described in Romans chapter 1 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6, they're considered a fair game today, and they're encouraged by the loud minority in this country. But I will say they are getting major pushback. So keep it up. Keep it up. It is a wor- worth fighting for. And... Um, don't go watching any Twix commercials on. Oh, I said that out loud. It's ridiculous. The Twix commercial that's out right now is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Doritos, I think, has a good one too. That's pretty bad. But I, I didn't, after watching the Twix one, I just took their word for it. So, how has this affected the church? Are we influencing our culture? As a church, is the culture influencing us? Well, in the 90s and the 2000s, a little bit even today, but a little bit less, I think we're starting to become aware that um, the church isn't the power that they once were. The church started building. We started building buildings, and we started making our little forts and our little uh, sanctuaries and our little places of worship, and they became big places of worship. Instead of spreading out into the community, we asked the communities to come to us. That's one thing that I appreciate about White Rose. We've stayed in the little community and we've stayed out of debt. That is something to be commended for. This debt is incurred and the problem is the ones that incurred the debt back in the nineties and things, they had the the money to pay it off, but they didn't pass that on to the church. They passed it on to their kids and their kids forgot that their parents committed to this debt. How are we going to pay off this building? And as the leader or the pastor gets older, and maybe he retires, the following kind of goes with him, and well, there's not the financial support they were, that church is in trouble. We see that in town right now, with many churches around here. We need to be praying for them. The message then suffers, because They want to get, they don't want to run any of these new younglings off, right? That's a Star Wars term, sorry. Um, the, The young believers who are a little bit shallower in their faith is how I would put it. And so they give them a comfortable message to listen to, and they're like, yeah, I feel good every Sunday. But they leave out a message like today God's wrath. God is going to come and judge, too. God doesn't want sin in our lives, right? There's consequences for that. And the message starts to get watered down. And it's not necessarily not true because God does love, doesn't he? But if you'd never talk about the other side, then you're only getting half the truth. And then pretty soon it distorts out into our culture that, well, God wouldn't do that because he's a loving God. Why would God do that? If God's a loving God, He would never do that. He would never create a hell. Have you heard that one? That's a big, popular, popular right now. God wouldn't send us anybody to hell. Well, yes, He would. If you don't choose Him, you are—you are. I guess God isn't really sending you to hell. You're choosing to go to hell all by yourself, right? That was one of the very first things my wife taught me. Was that? It's only half the story, and there are consequences for our sins. Idolatry, it becomes in the church. A lot of times we make our church, make or break our church on the pastor. That's somewhat true, okay? But it goes to the extremes. We take his mission, his focus, and sometimes he takes his security. I don't want to ruffle feathers, so I want to make sure everybody comes in. You know how... Terrifying it is to preach through Revelation when you're like, well, I could I could lose half my congregation today. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) But you do what the Lord wants, right? From a congregation's point of view, sometimes we heard it this way. I I went after church at at, uh, my home church, and I went to one of my friend's houses. They they're like, yeah, we're We're having our first meal today, and we'll have our second meal in a little bit. And I was like, our first meal? Yeah, we're chewing up the pastor and spitting out his message now. And I am not one to be like, oh, okay, and be stone-faced. I show everything. I'm like, my jaw drops open, and they're like, I was probably 13, maybe, maybe 16. I look like 13, though, uh, when I was 16. And... I couldn't believe what I was hearing from people I thought were like pillars in the church and the, the lead elders, and I was like, that's not right. You don't, you don't do that to your pastor. So they had two meals that day, two lunches. The pastors, and in that conversation, usually goes, the pastor doesn't, does a much, doesn't do enough, or he does too much, and so then he can't do this. Or that was, that was a great sermon, or it doesn't get it, or I didn't get anything out of it. And it didn't really connect with me, or the worst, that pastor can do no wrong. He is such a good, we are so blessed to have that pastor. Just know that we are, that's, no pastor needs to hear that, okay? Because if you tell a pastor that he can do no wrong, and if he gets that in his head, and he starts believing that, that's trouble, Okay, you start having a tyrant right there and I will I will not listen to that ever as a and if you start telling me that I will stop listening to you. So don't ever tell me I can do no wrong. You're like, "No problem, right, Judy?" At a girl. But as I look through all these things, it is all a reflection or maybe a deflection of your personal walk with the Lord you're like saying, well, I can't get anything out of today's sermon. How is your reading throughout the week? So I know from myself reading this, I'm learning things for the first time, and um, I'm giving brand new stuff here that I've never preached on before, so I, I know I'm learning tons. And I know, I, I used to say this about Marv Clausen. Marv Clausen came after Joe Weyer. Joe Weyer was my hero, and um, did everything with the youth. He was a senior pastor. He he kind of got let go, and he, he saw the signs on the, on the wall, the writing on the wall, and he, he moved on. We got Marv. Marv was a great guy, but Marv focused on um, more the adults than he did the kids. Joe focused on the kids. And it was hard for me to get with Marv because It was like you abandoned us. And it wasn't Marv's fault. I felt like maybe my parents had abandoned us because they didn't reach out to us kids anymore. And we should be able to carry it on. We should be able to do the next. Well, we did for a time, but it was hard. And so I was like, I have a hard time connecting with Marv. Well, then I started taking notes during sermons. And I'm like, wow, there's a lot of good stuff here. And I started really digesting and, and looking what he had, and I started filling it out and being like, wow, there's, there's a great sermon here. Um, I just didn't understand him before, and I never took the time to try to understand him. And I'm not saying that any of you guys do this, but I'm just telling you, I've been there before. I've gone through this. I've seen this in my own life. Okay? It's, it's easy to do, and I found out the problem was with me. So, another thing we see in the, in the church today, sexual immorality, com, compromise, integrity by pastors and priests, we see it again and again and again, going after the Catholic Church for things. We need to be praying for our brothers and sisters there. There are brothers and sisters in the Catholic Church. We need to be praying that they find the real Jesus, too. We also need to... Pray for those that have been abused by that stuff, whether it's by pastors or priests or congregants alike. There's just too much to lose. There's too much to lose when it comes to sexual immorality, to to breaking the bonds of marriage, your relationship with God, your relationship with your spouse and kids, your integrity. In the community, your witnesses to friends and families and co-workers all gone in a blink of an eye, just like God's wrath coming down on Babylon here. You wondered how I was going to tie that back in? Gone in a single day. Who mourns for the kings of this world, the merchants who said her goods, they're gone. They knew because they knew they were next. How does it start? How did do, how do, they get there? It's a casting crown song. It's a slow fade, right? When you give yourself away. It doesn't start with going up to a coworker and ask if you want to have sex after work. It usually starts with a conversation. It usually starts with a light touch, and it moves on and progressing to where your thoughts, that's all you're thinking about that person. It's time to get out of that relationship it's time to confess to your wife or to your husband. I've been having these things. I've been going emotionally, I've been giving myself away to this person at work. I need to uh, confess this to you so you will understand. And now I'm gonna give you my phone. You're gonna call that person and say, my husband or my wife will not be talking to that person any- to you anymore at work because they're going too far in this relationship. I apologize, it's not you, it's him or her, and um, I'm going to delete that contact from my phone. I'd appreciate if you don't contact him. I'm sorry that he or she is foolish like this. Ouch. You got to do what you got to do, right? If you really want to follow the Lord, if you really want to, what does Jesus say about that? He says, gouge out your eye. If it is being unfaithful, cut off your hand. Cut off the contact. Cut contact. Flee like Joseph did. Here's one for. Oh, here's some more. <laughs> Things become more important than Sunday morning you know church wasn't really doing it for me. I got I got other priorities or men we like to say it's a good for her and the kids, but I don't really need to go. Well, men, you are the spiritual leaders of your household, so as you go, your family will go. Here's one for everyone. Well, I don't understand most of it. I don't get it. We don't I just don't get anything out of our, out of the Bible, but I you know, so I don't really study it during the week. What I get on Sundays, it'll be fine. And then the worries of this life and the cares of this world will shrivel you up, just like the seed planted on rocky soil in Matthew 13, 22. Soon your time and your talents and treasures are invested in other things that are deemed more important. Why? I don't really under, I don't really know. It just, just happened. It just kind of. Faded that way. Friends, I'm not saying church is the end all. That would be Jesus Christ. But we need to find a good community to live and to grow and to share the love of Jesus. And this, this is one thing I think we do really well at White Rose Fellowship. We have good community. We know how to bring in the lost, the hurting, and um, restore them. And then encourage them on to the next steps. We, but we can see where it leads. Maybe we shouldn't be so concerned about where it starts, but where others finish. What do I mean by that? Loving your neighbor means I'm concerned about where my neighbor's going. Is he going to go to heaven or hell? I need to be concerned. I need to be praying for that. So life is meant to be lived out in sacrificial actions, loving our neighbors. Can we do that on the ball field? Can we do that in the gym? Can we do that at the rodeo? Yeah, you can actually. But here's my question. Who did not you invite to read the Bible with on that ball field? Who did you talk about Jesus in the gym or read his word together before the game? Did you pray for the lost? Are you still on mission? That's the beauty of community as on Sunday mornings. Did you serve someone sacrificially? Oh, you tell them, Pastor. But I'm gonna ask you the same thing, congregation. Did you invite anybody to come with you today? Did you pray for the lost? Do you have four or five people that you have on a card? Did you pray for every day, that you're inviting to church? Did you talk to him about Jesus? Did you intersect him into your conversation? Did you read his word with anybody? Did you share that? Did you pray for the lost? Did you serve someone sacrificially? It goes just as much for us as it does anybody outside the church, doesn't it? It's not easy but it's something we need to remember. Whether we're on the ball fields, in the gym, or in church, if we're not living a life of worship in the community, then we're not living like Jesus at all. It's kind of pointless to come to church if you're not going to live like Jesus. That's the hard truth right there, right? It's kind of pointless to do life without Jesus. So if If you've ever done Jesus, nothing else is a good enough substitute. It just doesn't Work. You can try drugs. You can try sex. You can try um, making yourself a social pyramid so you're the number one. Everybody wants to be like you. You can try alcohol. It doesn't add up. It will never be enough. Only Jesus sustains over a long period of time and forever. That's a long period of time. (laughs) God is not silent about his judgment on sin. He desires that we repent and turn to him so we can Make all things new. Let's read the last passage, and then it's pretty much like the last one, so it's a quick ending here. The merchants who became wealthy by selling these things will stand at a distance, terrified by her great torment They will weep and cry out how terrible, how terrible for the great city. She was clothed in finest purple and scarlet linens and decked out with gold and precious stones and pearls. In a single moment, the wealth of the city was gone. And all the captains of the merchant ships and their passengers and sailors and crews and all will stand at a distance. They will cry out as they watch the smoke ascend and they will say, where is another city like this? They will weep. And throw dust on their heads to throw their grief, to show their grief, and they will cry out How terrible, how terrible for the great city, the ship owners became wealthy by transporting her great wealth in the seas, and in a single moment it is gone. Rejoice over her fate, O heaven, and the people of the God, and the apostles and the prophets, for the last of God's judgment. For at last, God has judged her for your sakes. And a mighty angel picked up a boulder size of a huge millstone, and he threw it into the ocean, and he shouted, Just like this, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down with violence and will never be found again. The sound of harps and singers and flutes and trumpets will never be heard in you again. No craftsmen, no trades will ever be found in you again. The sound of... Of the mill will never be heard in you again. The light of the lamp will never shine in you again. The happy voices and brides and bridegrooms will never be heard in you again. For your merchants were the greatest in the world. You deceived the nations with your sorceries. In your streets flowed the blood of the prophets and the holy, God's holy people, and the blood of his people slaughtered all over the world. God's judgment is a double edged sword. What do you mean by that? Well, as he, he judges the unrighteous, he's also promised judgment for the righteous, hasn't he? He promised us he will, he will repay back. He will take care of it, says the Lord. So God's judgment is a double-edged sword. And if you read that passage again, you'll look and you'll notice it's very, very similar to the passage of Tyre in the Old Testament. You see that in, I want to say, I think it's Isaiah 38, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, it's right around in that area. And you see it again in, in Ezekiel. He talks about Mag- Gog and Magog. It's the same. All those are symbolisms, are all names for um, Satan. Satan is the lead in this Babylon, and he will be cast down once again and anybody that chooses not to follow the Lord will be cast down with him. So God's judgment is a double-edged sword. Look at this great list. His desires were were for things of this world, worldly possessions. How do we, how do these values compare to our community? When we get a tax refund, does the community talk about how they put it in the bank? Or they talk about the new car, the new truck, the new big screen TV that they stimulated the the economy with. What does it say for the church? Aren't we supposed to be the heart of the community? How do these values compare to yours? If you're mourning the fact that they line up a little bit too close, I think that's okay. It's good that you recognize that, is what I mean. And you need to repent. Some things I need to repent of in here. Start fresh. Turn 180 degrees, go the other direction. If you're glad that you don't identify with this place, well, good. You're on solid ground. When are we going to get together so I can train you on how to be a disciple maker of Jesus so we can take and teach somebody else this? You know, I was going to fit that in there somehow, didn't you? The point to remember in all this, God's wrath doesn't just consume the sinner. It vindicates the saint. Just like Psalms 2 that we read and called for worship. It's a double-edged sword. Continue in his good work he has appointed you, meaning love your enemies one of those fun passages that I like to cross out in my reading. Love your enemies. Pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you. It's another easy one to do. How's your disciple making going? I didn't even know I was supposed to be a disciple maker. Are you making disciples of this world and our culture, or are you making disciples of Jesus or making more disciples. What holds your values? Things of this world? Things of Jesus? You know, I had to take a hard look So we're going through some troubled times throughout our past and I looked at the youth group. Do I see fruit coming off those kids in the youth group? And I had to have a Real conversation because I didn't see much. I saw a few. Some of that's because of how they were discipled, right? I have to take responsibility for that. So I changed how we're doing it. Of course, COVID helped because I got a bunch of new ones in here. So God's like, okay, clean slate, go ahead, see how I did. Last Thursday, we challenged those kids what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? What's it look like? They talked a lot about justification, about surrendering your life to Jesus, which is good. Yeah, that's good, but we're assuming that that's happened at this point. What's next? Thursday, they got uh, Happy Meals for their prize. How many people got Happy Meals in here? A few of them raised their hands for their fundraiser and things. So how many of of those that raised your hand, how many people shared your Happy Meal or gave your happy meal to somebody at school lunch, says, here, you can have my happy meal. I'm going to take your school lunch because I love you that much. That's what Jesus would do. And they're like, whoa. And uh, Alonzo said, that'd be really nice. (laughs) That's what Jesus does. Not only does he provide our lunch for us, he gives us his happy meal on top of it. Right? He, he could let us live in the doghouse of heaven. but he doesn't. He's going to prepare a place for us like we are his bride. And he is proud of us. He parades us around. Look, look, they've come back to me. They are mine, my possession. So it's time to let go of the bitterness. It's time to let go of the hate. And it's time to let God create in you a clean heart and restore the joy of thy salvation. Cuz God has not been silent about his judgment on sin. He desires that we repent and turn to him so we can make he can make all things new. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you that your word is powerful, double-edged sword that it You are here to judge and you're here to bless the saints, Lord. I pray that as we walk in your blessings, Lord, that we would not get proud, that we would not get haughty, that we would look to our neighbor who needs this just as much as we do, and that we would cry out to you that you would change their life, that you would change their heart, and that they would hope, we would hope that they would see you in a new light. God, you are an awesome God. You are a God who cares about us. You are a God who saves us. And we ask in Jesus' name that you would continue to press on our heart those who are lost in our life that need Jesus and that we would uh, come to know him in a personal way and then be able to share him uh, constructively. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.